Are you ready, Ma? Ready. Let's go. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Oh, my stomping grounds. The District of Columbia, 1976. Taxation without representation still. Still. Exactly. Uh, we are doing this week my pick, All the President's Men, because we're going to impeach that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it, motherfucker. I ain't scared. <laughs> and the particulars, please. Okay, the particulars. 1976's All the President's Men. It was released April 9th, 1976, directed by Alan J. Pacula, who also produced To Kill a Mockingbird. He also directed Clute, Sophie's Choice, Presumed Innocent, and The Pelican Brief, among others. Wow. Mm-hmm. Produced by Walter Koblenz um, for Wildwood. That's so. That's um, Robert Redford's company. So Robert Redford pretty much produced this. He bought the yes. rights to the book and everything. Written screenplay by William Goldman. Rest in peace, Big Will. He der- uh, wrote, we already know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <sighs> Marathon Man, The Princess Bride, Harper. <sighs> He wrote Princess Bride? My, yeah, we did this when we did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You did the same exact. He did Princess Bride. Go ahead. Yeah, he wrote the book and then wrote the screenplay. Wow. And Harper, and you also, this is the third time you've voiced amazement that William Goldman was responsible for the Princess Bride. Because when we did Harper, you also were surprised. <laughs> Go ahead. He also was a consultant on a little film you may have heard called Goodwill Hunting. Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. It is based on the book All the President's Men by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. The music is by David Shire. He also did The Conversation, The Taking of Pelham 123, that's the original, Return oh. to Oz, and Zodiac. He also did the original music for Saturday Night Fever. Whoa. So he didn't do the BG stuff. He did the other stuff. Yeah. I've never seen Saturday Night Fever, so I guess maybe we'll have to do that at some point. Wah, 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 wah. Staying alive. Mm-hmm. Staying alive. It was edited by <laughs> Robert L. Wolf, who also edited The Rose on Golden Pond and The Wind and the Lion, to name a few. Um, the director of photography is Gordon Willis, a name that we probably don't know, but we should, because before this guy shot this movie, this is what he worked on before he did all the president's men. Clute, a little tiny movie that I don't know if you've heard of called The Godfather. (laughs) The Parallax View, and then he did probably the best sequel of all time, Godfather 2, and then his next movie was this, All the President's Men. Let's wow, just say okay. this guy, he is up there when it comes to director of photography yeah. gods. He also did eight Woody Allen films, like Annie Hall, Zelig, 
and other Woody Allen films. He's on the Mount Rushmore, probably, of cinematographers. Yeah, definitely. And I had to give a shout out to the art department guy, George Jenkins, because he did some work on this film. Let's get into the cast. So already, before a shot has even been, a frame of footage has even been taken, this has got some A-list prestige at the time. This is everybody playing at their A-game. They're, yeah. they're the Golden State Warriors, if you will, in their second year when they were like, I, well, I guess that's a bad analogy because they ended up losing that championship game. Anyway, everybody's at their top game right now. Right. The cast. Robert Redford. He plays Bob Woodward. Uh-huh. You may know of Robert Redford from Barefoot in the Park, Sun- Butch and Sundance, Jeremiah Johnson, The Way We Were, The Sting, The Great Gatsby, The Natural. I mean, on and on and on. He's Robert Redford. Yes. Then we have Dustin Hoffman, who played Carl Bernstein. And Dustin Hoffman, we know him from The Graduate, Midnight Mm -hmm. Cowboy, Little Big Men, Kramer vs. Kramer, Tootsie, and Rain Man. As well as a lot more. Right. A lot. A lot. I mean, we know these two people, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Now, Bob Woodward was 29 at at this time. So they're young. He's young. They're both young guys. Yes. Um, And Carl Bernstein, he was 28 at this time. And he, in 1976, from 1976 to 1980, he married Nora Ephron. Yes. And if you want to see how that marriage ended, you can see Nora Ephron's account of it in the book and movie Heartburn, where they are played by Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That was sort of inspired by her marriage to him. He was a bit, he, after he came, after this, it's a big story. He was a young guy. He did quite well for himself in the eighties. He dated Bianca Jagger, Martha Stewart, and Elizabeth Taylor, just to name a few of the women. He, he had a a rather large ego. Yes. Is Which, he still with us? He both of all, everyone, all four of these guys are still with us. Oh, okay. All right. So now moving on, we have Jack Warden. Yes. Who played Harry M. Rosenfeld. And Rosenfeld was the local news editor at the Washington Post. Right. Now we're going to recognize him because he was also in 12 Angry Men. Yes. He was also Paul Newman's buddy in The Verdict. Yes. He was in Shampoo. He was in, like, Muppet movies. Like, this guy, you see him, you know him. You might yeah. not be able to tell where you know him from, but he's been, he was in so much stuff. You just hear his voice. And you know him. And, and his, like, his, like, ring of red hair. Yes. Then we have Martin Balsam. He should sound familiar. He played Harry Simmons, who was the managing editor of the Washington Post. Balsam... We know he was in Psycho. We saw him in 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. He was in The Taking of Pell Elm 123. He's, he's another one of these guys where you're like, I recognize this guy. And we have Hal Holbrook. 
Hal Holbrook plays Deep Throat in this. Yes, he does. Hal Holbrook in real life was married to Dixie Carter of Designing Women fame. Correct. He was also in Wall Street, Fetch Lives, The Firm, Lincoln. This dude was in, in TV. He was in The Sopranos, ER, Sons of Anarchy. That's just to name a few. Go on mm-hmm. Hal Holbrook's IMDb and did the guy ever take a vacation? I don't think so. No. Now we have Jason Robards. Yes. Now, Jason Robards, he's playing Ben Bradley. And Ben Bradley was the executive editor of the Washington Post. And he was played most recently by Tom Hanks in the movie The Post. Yes. Then The Post, that is about the Pentagon Papers and the whole um, cover up that the White House had for 30 years over the involvement in Vietnam. Now, if you watch, you should watch the post first because there's all that stuff that leads up. All the stuff in the post happened before we're starting this. So the post is in essence a prequel to all the president's men. Okay. As far as like history and what happened, which I think is a good reminder yeah, it's important because the po- um, in the post, it shows how they really went out on a limb. Yeah, and they were already, like, almost in trouble. Like, they had to go to, didn't they have to go to the Supreme Court in the post? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. people were, like, threatening them and, like, what the hell are you doing? So that's yes. what that whole movie's about. Now, Ben Bradley, he is, like, he's a legend. And there's a fantastic HBO documentary on him called The Newspaper Man that I highly recommend. Ah. Mm -hmm. Because he was one of these guys that women loved and men loved. And they loved him because um, he was like, he always tried to be fair. um, And he just had like a winning personality and he was very charismatic. So he's played by Jason Robards in this. And Jason Robards was the voice of Ulysses S. Grant in the Ken Burns Civil War miniseries. He was also married to Lauren Bacall. He was also um, decorated in World War II. He was actually on a boat that was in the Pacific prior to Pearl Harbor being bombed. And so and he saw and then he was on another ship that had like was attacked by kamikazes and stuff. So he wasn't just some actor, you know, out there saying he, he was he was a soldier first in the shit. And actually on one of his I believe it was on the Nashville ship, he picked up a playbill and he was like, you know what, maybe I should try acting. Maybe like people won't be flying planes into ships when I'm acting. That seems like mm-hmm. a much easier life. And so he mm-hmm. is known He's a he's known for being a really good actor. Had a bit of an alcohol problems with alcohol, but that probably stems from all the shit that he saw well, in the yeah, war. Planes flying at him. Yeah, you know, I mean, he was his ship was one of the first ones that returned to the carnage of Pearl Harbor, so he probably saw some shit. He saw some shit, and I don't think he had bone spurs. Yeah, I mean. He he was there, so he was really in like stage. That was his main thing. Um, but he was also, so he was in Julia, Melvin and Howard, Philadelphia, Crimson Tide. 
And then we have Jane Alexander. She played Julie Judy Hobeck Miller. A very small part. Right, but she was very crucial in the investigation. Because yeah, she, she was. was. But I went, Jane Alexander is playing this part? Yeah, but yeah. she was young. Yeah. But she had also, I mean, she's a theater hall of famer and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, Definitely. I mean, at that 29-year-old Robert Redford, like, asked you to be in his role, in his, his movie, or you can audition for him. Of course, you'll be like, any part, please. Yeah. So she's playing the bookkeeper for Creep, which was the committee to reelect the president. Her movie roles include The Great White Hope, Kramer vs. Kramer, Glory. And I'm like, Jane Alexander, where do I know you from? The Good Wife. Yeah. She was on there. And then we have Stephen Collins, who was the dad from Seventh Heaven and uh, was a bit of a recent tricky past with uh, certain allegations that he admitted to regarding oh, children. Oh, the Me Too movement? Uh, more regarding children, but I... Oh, God. Like under... A bit, bit of an R. Kelly, if I may. Oh. Um, I didn't know. Yeah, he played... Because all that stuff kind of came out before the Me Too. So it was all kind of just wiped under the rug. Um... He plays Hugh W. Sloan Jr., who is the treasurer for the committee to reelect the president. And then we have Ned Beatty, who uh, plays Martin Dardis. And Martin Dardis was the chief investigator for Dade County, Florida. And also, after this whole thing, he, as a reporter, went on to break the story of Pete Rose gambling. Hmm. Ned Beatty, you'll know him from Network. Deliverance, Rudy, Charlie Wilson's War, and Toy Story 3, among other films. If you've ever seen Deliverance, you'll never forget Ned Beatty. I've never seen Deliverance. You might not want to. Well, you might be doing it. Oh, God. It's the first movie Poppy and I ever went to together. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, great first date movie. I know, because we're going to have to do it because I know a lot about it. I know Squeal Like a Pig comes from there. <laughs> I know the dueling banjos are in there. Yes, they are. I know Burt Reynolds is in it. Yeah, John Voight. So, yeah, we're probably going to have to do it. I haven't picked a movie yet, so that might end up oh, doing God. it next week. That one's going to take a lot of gin. <laughs> and finally, or not finally, but we also have Meredith Baxter, who yes. you'll know is the mother from Family Ties. She has a small part as Deborah Murray. Sloan, who is uh, Sloan's wife, mm-hmm. and in a cameo playing himself, we have Frank Willis. Yes, who was the Watergate guard, security guard, who called it in, who found the started tape the whole on thing. the door, and was like, "Hey, we got something going on here," and there are the particulars. Well done. Well, with our new format, we're just going to set the table now. We're going to touch on the beginning and the middle and the end. Yeah. So. Well, I have to, I have a confession to make. I watched this movie a long time ago when I was a kid. I have a feeling that Mrs. Wiley showed it to us in the sixth grade, which seems like a Mrs. Wiley move to do. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm watching this, I'm like, did I... 
I didn't understand any of this. No, I just he... always understood. I was scared of Deep Throat. I was yeah. always like, this guy's going to kill you. What are you doing, Robert Redford? Because just the lighting of his, how he's yeah. lit was so scary to me. And then I just knew, and I knew the Library of Congress scene. Mm -hmm. That's always what I think of when I think of this movie. Is that yeah, shot? Yeah, me too. And then I was like, yeah, and then the president resigned. I really didn't understand the whole story. And so I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read about this and figure this out. I want to understand the scandal and how they were able, like, what's, what were these steps? And because there's a lot of, what is it called when they, you take something, like a lot of inferences, right? Yes. Where they, they would ask people questions and they wouldn't get a denial. And so by not getting the denial, they would then assume that the other part was true. But nobody right. would go on record. Right. So, yeah, let's set the table. Okay, well, it's it, this is the story of the break-in at the Watergate Hotel of the National Democratic Headquarters. That's how it starts. You find out there's way more to it than that. Mm -hmm. The very beginning um, is a typewriter typing, but they actually use the sound of bullets because I thought it was a shooting at first because oh. it's just blank. And then the typewriter starts typing and it's loud and it sounds like bullets and it was supposed to. Mm. Okay. So it all started with tape on a locked door. They had used masking tape to keep it so that they could open and close it. Now, not people uh, paying attention to detail again. Because if they had cut the tape off so that it didn't come around the corners of the door, uh, the dude wouldn't have ever have even realized it. Yes, but this is 1970 strength masking tape. This isn't the tape. They don't have gorilla tape and duct. They, you know what? They should have used duct tape vertically. Because yeah. the reason they had to wrap it around is, is if they had cut it, it wouldn't have had enough stick to keep that thing closed. I'm just saying. They, they needed to do better, but thank goodness they didn't. Okay. Well, it actually, so we could just jump ahead here. The five guys who are arrested, they get arraigned, and you find out that four of the five are Cuban-American. So I went ahead and put them down as four POCs. Oh, okay. I just went ahead. Also, little nerd alert, one of the four guys, actually rewind it, first nerd alert, one of the officers that uh, busts them is played by F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, I didn't even realize it. Yeah, I'm like, why is F? Is that F. Murray Abraham? Which in four years he would go on to win an Oscar for playing Mozart. Am I correct? I believe so. Uh, in Amadeus, yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so wait, I just had a thought. And just then, said. while you get that thought, one I of the four, one of the five guys who was arrested and their arraignment is played by, uh, is it Junior from The Sopranos? I forget, but he's that guy. Oh, because they were undercover detectives who were the first ones, and they were going, why are we here? And they said, you were the closest car. You know, the, mm -hmm. the uniformed guys were too far away. So they had, I mean, detectives on it which is like a step above what usually would have been the, the first 
the first group to go in and investigate. Oh, so that's a lucky break because how many Datelines have we watched where it's been botched because the first person to secure the crime scene was the rookie? Exactly. So and not not the rookie's fault. It, it, it just yeah. Uh, okay. So then we go to the Washington Post. We meet Bob Woodward, and it's he's only been there nine months. He's a newbie. He's he's only working on local stories. And um, and this was a local story. And Bernstein, Carl Bernstein, who'd been there it, um, for a while. Yeah, he'd been there. A little, well, because I think Bernstein, he was, I believe his he has an interesting backstory where he dropped out of school and he was able to just start working at the Washington Post at like age 16. Yeah, because it said he'd been there 18 years, and I'm going, that can't be yeah. possible. So he, but he had that, um, he didn't have a degree or anything, so he was, he had to work his way up very slowly. Yeah, So yeah. he was, he was still considered a new guy, even though he had been around, and he also has this chip on his shoulder of not having gone to school, and everyone else having gone to school, and his, his school being like, well, I'm in the school hard knocks. I learned yeah. here. I'm on the streets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they were hungry reporters. I mean, they got a hold of this and they went, there's something going on here. Well, you know, this, this break in. Right. So they send Woodward to the arraignment and they, cause they think it's just a regular run of the mill. Oh, it's the Watergate office complex and it's the democratic national committee headquarters so that is kind of interesting but just go see what happens so he's there and woodward finds out a couple interesting things one their attorney they're not represented by public defenders they've got a <laughs> a like high class big time attorney yeah that's your first clue right and two the the burglars and stuff, they, the officers, the, the judge makes them say what their name and occupation is. And this one guy, I have it down in my notes, who he was. But he was, um, I guess they, I don't have that. He wasn't just a, he wasn't just a, a burglar. Yeah, he, he had uh, ties with the he list. He said CIA as his former employer. Yes. And yes. so Woodward's like, what? A former member of the CIA is one of these guys that got caught up and arrested? And they were also caught with surveillance and bugging equipment. So you have a guy who says he's ex-CIA. They have a high-priced attorney. And they were caught with bugging equipment. So that piques old Woodward's interest. Of like, that all seems odd. And it's at the Democratic Convention. So then they found... um, They found cash on the burglars. And the cash on the burglars was tied to a slush fund that was used by Creep which is the committee to reelect the president. And that was President Nixon's official campaign organization. And we're, we're skipping through a lot because they just kept getting doors slammed in their face. And part of this was 
the way that you did research back in the 70s, you did it on foot. You did it with shoe leather. I mean, you, you couldn't Google people. You had to go and knock on doors and find out who people were. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted phone numbers, you had to look in phone books. So they they did a lot of running around trying to find things, getting doors slammed in their face, getting people going, the story isn't going anywhere. We don't have enough facts. So every time it looked like it was going to get shut down, something new happened. Right. So then that guy, that was James W. McCord Jr. He was the former CIA guy. And then they find out that all all five of the men who got arrested had ties to the CIA. And then Woodward is able to connect these guys to an E. Howard Hunt, who was a former employee of the CIA, and he was Nixon's special counsel. And Nixon's special counsel, Carl Colson. Right. Who was Nixon's hatchet man. Okay. But he's only able to do this by talking to people like Jane Alexander's character who's scared and everybody that they're talking to, you can tell that they all know something because anytime they open the door, it's, Oh, um, I don't know anything before they even say anything. So all of these things, it's just very like, Oh, there's a cover up going on. Somebody has scared these people and has told them not to talk. Exactly. So, you know, they're going to this and, and, they're, ben Bradley refers to them as Woodstein, combined yeah, with which is, Yeah, I thought that was hysterical. Right. So they're go like Woodstein's going to the, the editors and stuff. Like, look, we got this story and stuff. But you know, remember the Pentagon Papers and stuff. Ben Bradley is like, well, we don't have any reliable sources. No one's going to go on record. And they know? had to have two reliable so two people on record for everything they print mm-hmm. because that's that's how you could tell people are telling the truth because yeah that's the difference between real news and fake news right because see and then i was thinking about this people who because woodward had a lot of people in anonymous sources and that's always his, the criticism on his reporting is how he relies on anonymous sources and people but people are they're like, oh, but they're anonymous, so you can lie. And if you have somebody who's coming from a place where it's like, no, I tell the truth, and when I'm telling the truth, the reason I'm telling the truth is that they can't say this, but this is the truth. They're coming at it from a good place, so people will be like, okay, I believe this. But if you come from a place where you're nefarious and you will do anything to win, then, yeah, you can just make up anonymous sources because you're – um, dishonest and not truthful. So Woodward contacts, he has, he thinks like all these doors are shut in his face. They're not getting anything. And then he remembers that he has this contact. That's a senior government official that he knew before. And he calls him. And so that anonymous, he is who becomes deep throat. Right. So he meets Deep Throat, and he's anonymous, and he doesn't, he's not going to say anything, but he's only going to confirm. Woodward, he says, if you want to talk to me, you place a red flag outside on your balcony, and then we will meet up. Oh, and then he'll, like, slip something in the paper 
Yeah, and in his newspaper. They'll be able to, on the page, and then they'll go and meet up, and he will only confirm what Woodward brings to him. So he can tell right. him He won't tell right him direction. anything. He'll just confirm. Right. But the one thing that he does say... Follow the money. Yep. Which... That's where that... Although it wasn't in the book, Follow the Money. Nerd alert! Follow the Money was made up by William Goldman. It was, which was perfect. It was never in the book. It wasn't mentioned anywhere in the reporting. That's just Goldman being a storyteller. But the more that they uncover from these people who who aren't really talking, but they're just saying a few things, is that that the names involved just keep getting higher and higher in the in in government right like john mitchell is all of a sudden mentioned then jane alexander's um character says if you guys could get john mitchell that would be beautiful oh, john mitchell was he the uh, the acting attorney general at the time or former he was the former yeah. attorney general. Now, then he became um, Nixon's attorney, I believe, his personal attorney. Right. So they were able to link him because they were they followed the money, which led them to Miami. And Bernstein goes down to Miami to visit Ned Beatty's character, who was the chief investigator for the Dade County. Because when it was revealed that four of the five guys had ties to Miami the Miami district attorney started investigating and they found a $25,000 check um, that had Kenneth H. Dahlberg's name on it. And it turned out to be, it was turned out to, it was found to have been deposited into a firm owned by Bernard Barker, who was one of the burglars. So, so the burglar was being paid with a check that was supposed to go to the reelect Nixon campaign. Right. So they went to Kenneth H. Dahlberg, and he he said that he had made the check out to himself. Like you know, he kind of at first he was gonna talk like he didn't know anything about it, and then like they all do when they when they start to see like oh there's a thread. Then he trying to make up a story saying how. He made the check out to himself because he didn't want to carry around that much cash. But from digging up and investigating, they were able to find that that check came from the CEO of Archer Daniels Midland. And it showed that the burglars were funded through money laundering scheme. Right. That could all be connected back to, sorry, I wrote weird notes in this that I have to find where they go to. That could all be connected back to the committee to reelect the president. Right. So then Ben Bradley is skeptical because again, there's nothing, there's no confirmation or anything. And he's like, well, why would the president willingly break the law to bug the democratic national committee when He's going up against George McGovern, and he's going to, like, wipe the floor with him. This, this right. isn't even a contest, so it doesn't make any sense. So then the former treasurer for the committee to reelect the president is connected to the White House chief of staff, H.R. Halderman, and the former attorney general, 
John Mitchell. So now, like, you're at, you're basically at the White House door. Right. So then they were able to uncover that the committee to reelect the president was financing political sabotage and dirty tricks that they refer to as rat fucking to sabotage Democratic presidential candidates a whole year before Watergate. It, and it was it, and it was Muskie. Um, Muskie was a Democrat who was who was, you know, in the running to get the nomination from the Democrats. And Nixon didn't want to go up against Muskie. So they had some, so they they made up that Muskie had said something bad about Canadians. Can you imagine the times <laughs> at, at that time? That was enough for him to have to drop out. And he and Nixon was losing to Muskie. And so, and, and, uh, and this is what Deep Throat was saying. He was going, okay, he didn't want to run against Muskie. Where's Muskie now? He did want to run against McGovern. Where's McGovern now? Mm -hmm. So it showed how, how deep this whole sabotage thing was. And then, and at this point, Woodward is getting frustrated with Deep Throat because the Washington Post, they're publishing articles, and at first they were publishing it in the back pages, and then at some point it goes to above the fold. And with the whole Mitchell thing, you're, you know, Ben Bradley, he's concerned because he just went through the Pentagon Papers. Mm -hmm. Now you're, go you're basically going after a former, like the highest law, isn't the... The, the attorney general is the highest law, law man in the, in the, or woman yeah. in the country. So you're going after him. And they, you know, they run it. And what happens is that the, nobody says that this never happened. What they get are non-denial denials, which we've all been accustomed to now. It's right. when they, they, they sound like they're denying it, but they're really not denying it. And Alternative truths. Yeah, and so they're kind of picking up on this. But, you know, Bradley still is like, man, my neck is out here. And... So they're going, and then, it, you know, they kind of, the Washington Post is getting in trouble again because they're calling it their state, because Ben Bradley had a history with um, the Kennedys, and so the Republicans are saying, look, we know that the, basically like what's happening now, saying like we know what side of the aisle this, this paper is on. It's a smear campaign, but they're not denying <laughs> that the story is wrong. They're just kind of putting it out there and they're kind of making fun of these two young reporters because as the story is getting bigger and bigger, these are the state, they keep like Bradley and the editorial staff, they don't take it, they don't take it and be like, no, this is a national story now. We're going to have our heavy hitters come in and report this. This juicy story, they keep with these two young upstarts. And let's stand by our boys. Yeah, they're like, let's stand by our boys. But the press secretary did deny it, much like um, the press secretary now denies things that she knows mm -hmm. are truths. So Woodward is, he's like, look, just I, like quit with the riddles, you know? Like, tell me something. What the hell? And Deep Throat is like, look, this is bigger than creep. Um, yeah. think about it. This You're is looking too small. Yeah. Yeah. This is about how they're, they're trying to hide. They're not trying to hide Watergate. They're trying to hide covert operations, including the entire U S community 
which is the FBI, the, the CIA, justice community. the yeah. Dep- you know, all of these arms, they're they're weaponizing these branches that were supposed to be checks and balances. And then finally he's like, look, also, um, Woodstein, like you and your partner, your lives are in danger. Yeah. And, you're like, and then he says, everyone is involved. Yeah. Everyone. everyone. Which means all the way to the very top. This goes to the very top. So in not at June or January 20th, 1973, Nixon is, you know, he wiped the floor with McGovern and he's sworn in for his next presidency. And it's him on the the television and in the background you have you see Woodward typing up the whole story. Mm-hmm. And then in so they, you know, they follow the money, people start talking, they start cutting deals, they start getting convicted. Mm-hmm. And August 9th, 1976, Nixon resigns. 1974 he resigned. Oh, sorry, 1974 he resigned. Yeah, Ben Bradley kept it with Woodstein, and he said, you know, there's nothing riding on this except the First Amendment, the freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the entire country. (laughs) No pressure, boys. No pressure. Yeah. This was in a, a, uh, according to the movie, in a conversation held on his front lawn because he couldn't go inside because everyone was bugged. Then everyone was bugged. Everyone was bugged. All right. In 1974. So did we learn anything? (laughs) Did we learn anything? Actually, we did because Deep Throat, I think that this is, I'll talk about, well, we could just say it right now. It was a great reheatable. Deep Throat says, you went too high. These investigations, you have to start the outside and work your way in. Thank you, Mr. Muley. Well, we, I mean, we don't know. We don't know whose side this guy's on. Have well, we learned true. nothing from Watergate? That's true. That's true. Okay, so what was your total people of color count? Okay, so we had the security guard. I had four Cuban Americans. I had the Library of Congress librarian. I had the assistant metro editor. Yes. And I had a Washington Post employee. Now, there were numerous um, black people at uh, sprinkled in the backgrounds, like especially in the court. Right. You know, yeah, very, that's true. But these are the, the prominent. So I have a total of eight. Okay. I think only what two have um, speaking, speaking roles. roles. Yeah. Okay. And we've had some nerd alerts. Do you have more nerd alerts? I do. Oh, go. So. There's a six-minute continuous scene with Robert Redford when he's on the phone. I believe it's on the phone with Dahlberg. And at the it's continuous, all one shot. They actually use a split diopter lens, which gives you the effect of things in the foreground being in focus and also things in the background being in focus. Only on Gone with the Bushes do you get that. Mm-hmm. It's a lens attachment. It, I thought it was very cool. I thought that they had they had done a split screen. I'm gonna be doing and I'm gonna do my own experiments because I thought they did like split screen and pasted it together, but no, it's a lens 
that uh-huh. had the curve and stuff. And you could, they did, I saw it three times. It was in this scene. And every time they had the, the television where you, the tele- television was close to us and we, it was in focus, but then in the reporters were in the background and they were also in focus. So that's the diopter lens. And you could tell, especially in the last scene, you could see where the line is. And usually they would hide the line on verticals, like a column or something. Ah. But you could kind of still see it because anything that was in the foreground past that line would be out of focus. Oh, okay. So that's why I thought that it was a split screen. But then I learned that it was a lens. But I'm like, I think I can capture the same effect with a split screen. Well, we will find out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at the end of that whole six minute one take, he messes up, but he messes up in character. He calls because he's going back and forth with the holds and stuff. And he like hangs up and he calls Dahlberg by another name. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. But he like keeps it going. I'm like Redford. Um, the score does not kick in until 28 minutes into the movie. I didn't even notice. And it's the famous Library of Congress scene. <sighs> Which is my reheatable. Yeah. That, it's just a great shot Shot. of dissolving and just seeing how it basically is a metaphor of like these the two the entire government is just weighing on these the shoulders these four shoulders of these two guys not even 30 Mm -hmm. um they recreated the washington post that's why we have a shout out to the art director that's true because like Bradley cooperated with them, but he wasn't going to let them shoot inside the Washington Post. So basically what they did is they created the Washington Post on two sound stages in Burbank. They got the same desks that the place got. They got... From the same company. I mean, it was like... They ordered the exact same stuff. They got like a brick so that the fiberglass people could make the bricks look the same. Um, The the DP of this, my my man, man, Willis... They were like, well, how you want to light this? And, and he's at the Washington Post. He's like, I want to use fluorescence. Yeah. And it's 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 very hard because so you wanted to keep the look of the fluorescence, but fluorescent lights hum. I know yeah, that like in your bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, that's the light. It's humming. Or or is it the bugs? The bugging? The the bugging. No, but in general, fluorescent. I don't know, yeah, maybe. They do. So they had they had the they had a hundred and thirty-five miles of wire. So they they basically took they had it so that the wire would go outside the studio and it was all encapsulated in air conditioned boxes. And somehow like the elect he gave us the DP gave a shout out to the electrical department because they never had an issue with the short and trying to figure out what light shorted. They had 700 fluorescent bulbs and 1400 ballast. And then when I was reading that, I was like, oh yeah, the fluorescent lights, but what happened to the green? Because when you shoot with fluorescent lights, you get a, everything has a green tint to it. And this never, this movie doesn't have a green tint to it. Hmm. And it's because the DP had the lab take the green out when they developed it. And so you are just left with the harsh fluorescent light, but none of the green. And I was like, ah, chemicals. Wow. 
Cool. Do I have more nerd alerts? Oh, no. So that was my nerd alerts. Okay, well, my reheatables were, you know, the entire story of how the public is just totally manipulated by the people in power. And um, I had a problematic thing when they asked the girl to see her ex to get info. It was obvious she didn't want to go back to her ex. They needed the names of everybody who I don't remember. Yeah, they, they just needed connective, the connective tissue. They were investigating, and they had a lead because one of the reporters was seeing a guy that was in somebody's office. Right. So he would have access to the the names and phone numbers of all the people that worked there. And she was obviously did not want to go and talk to him again. Right. But she did it. But, but Robert Redford did finally say, no, no, don't do it. If you're uncomfortable, just don't do it. Yeah. Of course he knew that if he said that, then she would do it. Right. And Dustin Hoffman's smoking didn't seem realistic to me. Didn't seem realistic. Well, apparently Bernstein would smoke everywhere. Yeah, but Dustin Hoffman just didn't look comfortable with the cigarette. Ah. I felt like. Um, I thought it was interesting how the research the old way before computers was so time-consuming and so energy-sucking. Yeah, it was work. Real work. <laughs> I mean, they had they had phone books from every state, mm-hmm. and then you, I mean, you just look at Washington D.C.'s phone books, and you go, "How did they house all that stuff?" Mm-hmm. Shout out to the art department; they recreated all those old phone books. They sure did. Um, my MVPs were. Wait, seeing I Washington- didn't go to my relate my reheatables. Oh, I didn't do MVP. Okay, MVPs is different. Okay, your reheatables go. All right, newspapers being under attack. People, you know, questioning the newspapers and basically threatening freedom of press. Yep. And an independent newspaper and and journalism and also just journalism in general, how they, you know, the news cycle, they had the ability, they had, they could wait. The news cycle was such that they could wait to find out and really concrete everything. And now, you know, if you... You can you should get the two sources, but TMZ doesn't need the two sources. Exactly. So they're just gonna they're just they're gonna run in with the out. story. Yep. Without confirmation. Um, deep throat saying you have to build your case from the outside in. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, look at that. Which we didn't even mention that we know who Deep Throat is now. Yes. He's that W. Mark Felt, I believe. Was the deputy to the came out in two thousand five. Deputy director of the FBI. So he was the second guy in charge in the FBI. Right. Um, and then my last reheatable was the cinematography, because I remember when I was at the beginning. I'm at the beginning of the film when they're doing the break in and how it's shot from the outside, and they would cut to the the lookout guy. And yes. how it was shot and just the framing of it. And I was like, man, that is just framed up nicely. And we're on the outside. So there's like this distance. And I'm just like, and the tension that is created. Mm-hmm. Like just how they were able to create such tension with just people 
they're just like newspapering and the tension in the newsroom with the tracking shots of like following Dustin Hoffman as he's running and skipping and needs to, you know, and he's excited because he has something. I was just like, man, the cinematography, also the shout out to the editing when the guys are, they're going door to door and that gets slapped in their face and stuff. And there's, it's just, I was just like, man, this was, it's an entertaining movie. Should mention it's on Amazon prime right now. Free on Amazon prime. Yep. My, uh, not so great reheats, uh, the salad of reheats, if you will, the, all the editors at the Washington post being basically all the same white man. Oh yeah. I was like, man, not a, not a woman around here. Yeah. We have one black guy. He's not saying anything. No, that's why he's allowed in the room. Also, Catherine Graham, did she even get mentioned in this? No, they did that on purpose, though. Oh. I read about that. They they wanted, oh, who did they want? Lauren Bacall to play Catherine Graham. Oh, that would have been fantastic. But then they they left her out. Well, at first, she didn't want any part of it. Well, she had, you know, the Pentagon Papers right. and all of that. So, the, so that's, she said, no, don't put me in it. And then when it was over, she said, dang, I wish I was in it. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she, is there a, is there a documentary about her? There must be. She was an amazing woman. Yeah. So I was, that was kind of disappointing because I was like, I don't even remember them even mentioning her and she owned it. And so, and then, yeah, I had all the smoking. Which that was yeah. the times, but still, I was like my chest hurt it. I found myself coughing. But that was seventy four, so we knew then that that it caused cancer. Yeah, but that was burnt because I looked up for doing the recasting. I looked up pictures of Bernstein at the time. He always had a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah, he always did. Because he got on an elevator, and one time Robert Redford said to him, is there any place you don't smoke? Yeah, he is just lighting up everywhere. Also, questionable, well, this actually never happened. So, a little, I guess I guess this is a nerd alert. I'm pulling it from my brain. Um, Better than your ass. Better than my ass, which may be. It's, <laughs> maybe my brain's in my ass. So, when Redford <laughs> bought the rights to it, he went to William Goldman and was like, hey, could you write this? And then by this time, uh, Bernstein and Nora Ephron were seeing each other, and they took a pass at it. They, mm-hmm. they wanted their own version of it. And I think because Robert Redford was kind of put in this weird position, to me, looking at it from his point of view of, Here's the guy that broke the Watergate story, and I'm doing the movie based on the book. I've got the guy that I want to write the script, but he's with his girlfriend and his girlfriend. Like, at the time, he didn't know that Nora Ephron was, you know, Nora Ephron. Well, at the time, she wasn't yet. Yeah. I don't. So they ha- they're like, here, we wrote the, a movie. We adapted it. So he kind of had to, to read it, and that hurt William Goldman's feelings because he's like what the hell man you came to me to write this I'm gonna write it and then they didn't really like it but then they gave it to William Goldman to read and he did take the the one thing that he did like from their script 
was the scene, which didn't happen in real life, that they made up, Bernstein and Efron made up for the script, which was when, in Florida, when Bernstein leaves because he's not getting to see the DA, and he calls the woman to go pick up the papers so that the secretary leaves and he's able to go in to see Ned Beatty. Right, he just pushed his way in, and that didn't really happen. Right. Okay, my MVPs are just seeing Washington, D.C., and I know that during filming they would stop traffic, but the but the lack of traffic in a lot of those scenes was... And the Library of Congress scene is just... Uh, it's worth seeing the movie just for that. Yeah. I really liked the lighting of Deep Throat. Because as mm -hmm. a, when I saw it as a kid and stuff, I was terrified of Deep Throat. I was just like, oh, that's so, he's so scary. The Library of Congress shot and Follow the Money. Yes. I mean, Follow the Money is, is the big MVP. I will also say that my favorite scene from the film is very early on when Woodward writes up the his very first, I think, his story on it. Right. And he, he takes it out of the typewriter and he goes and he puts it in the basket and the basket is between, the basket is in the middle between where Woodward and Bernstein sit. And at this time, like, they don't even, I don't even think they, they might just know each other from working in the same place. But he puts it in the basket and Carl sees him and gets up and takes it from the basket and over to his desk and starts rewriting it. Mm -hmm. And Woodward comes over to him and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm rewriting this. You, you, you're missing things. And Woodward is like pissed off because of course he's like, well, you know, what the hell? And Bernstein says, look, you're, it's confusing. You're not telling people what's going on in the first paragraph. You don't mention this guy until later on. You need to mention him in the first paragraph. What are you even doing here? And so then Woodward says, well, let me see what you have. And he reads it and he's like, ah, you're, you know, he knows that he was right. It is better. But he tells him, he's like, I don't, I don't mind you did what you did. I mind the way you did it. Don't do it again. Mm -hmm. And then very soon after that, Bradley's like, both of you guys are working on it together. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that just it sets them up. They have this like antagonism. But then they're both able to see that they both need each other. Right. And Woodward is still able to sit, like admit like, yeah, you were right. But then also, you know, I'm not don't step all over me. Don't tread on me. Right. Eighth Infantry. Okay, um, so when Mrs. Wiley showed this to you in sixth grade, it, it still had the, the fuck in it? Because there were there were several times when fuck was said in this. I don't remember. Because originally it came out as an R movie because of the language, and then it went to PG because of the of the importance of it i guess yeah i don't yeah that's interesting I, she did get in trouble for a couple things i do know that really because i'm i was thinking like was it because i remember seeing it 
and like, ooh, all the president's men, but like liking it, but not really understanding it. Mm -hmm. And like thinking that I was really young when I saw it, but maybe I was in high school, but I don't know. It just feels like something that she would have done. Yeah, it is something she would have done. Of like question authority. (laughs) Yeah, because from your year, you didn't know if she was going to be rehired. Oh, really? Yeah, she, um, in fact, I think our last year there, she wasn't rehired until after school started. You were in sixth grade that year. Why was she such a uh, rebel she rouser? A, yeah, she was a bit of a rebel rouser. Yeah, she. you could tell that she, but she was a really good teacher. Uh, she, uh, she was, and she she really liked you. And she did great with, uh, yeah, okay, so this is not the Mrs. Wiley show. But, okay, recasting. So I did a recasting of um, my own. Mm-hmm. So this is my recasting, okay? Mm-hmm. Jack Warden is going to be played by Viola Davis. <laughs> oh, va. Okay. Think about it. Okay. Is this okay? Uh, Dustin Hoffman is going to be played by Regina King. Mom, are you freaking kidding me? No. That's what I put down, Regina King. <laughs> First, I had Carrie Washington because um, she, you know, she had uh, he had more um, time in. He had eighteen years, and and Robert Redford only had nine months. So it was for my the Robert- quiet intensity. I yeah. was like, he has a quiet. Inten- we need somebody with a quiet intensity of how. Like, they can be super polite, but there's also just that intensity where you don't want to cross them. Right, and And you're not going to get railroaded. They will railroad you. They are not going to get railroaded. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of smaller. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my Robert Redford is the Pete and the Ingo. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I could see that. Okay, so my Ben Bradley is Denzel. Ah. I was going with just females, and then I thought, well, I can have a male in here. Mm-hmm. And then deep throat, I have two different people. Okay. First, I said Jamie Foxx. Oh, yeah. But then I said the guy from the Allstate commercial. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Haysbert. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, then I did another, um, another one of. Then I did another one, and it's all um, more more recent people. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my God, I did all men. I fell into the all men thing. Well, yeah, so then I, mean, I they were then all I did, men, so it's kind of easy too. Then I did an all all female cast. So my white cast mm-hmm. is. Um, for Jack Warden, I did uh, Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. For uh, Dustin Hoffman, I did Jonah Hill. Yeah, I can see that. For Robert Redford, I did Ryan Reynolds. Okay. I, di- I didn't really have a Ben Bradley. First, I said um, Benjamin Bratt, but uh, eh, I wasn't real happy with that. I one. have two. I like my two Ben Bradleys. Actually, my three. And, um, and my other one, uh, oh, and Deep Throat was, I had Jude Law. 
just came up with that at the end. <laughs> I just throw them, throw them a bone. My female cast, I had Jack Warden with Sandra Bullock. You okay. know, if it can't be Viola Davis, then we'll do Sandra Bullock. Uh-huh. But Viola's my first pick. I could think that Sandra Bullock could be your Ben Bradley. She could be anybody in here. Um, uh, with Dustin Hoffman, I kept Regina King. Because, yeah. come on. For Robert Redford, I put Emma Stone. Yeah, and she kind of did the reporter thing in The Help. For Ben Bradley, I did Meryl Streep. Yeah. And for Deep Throat, I did Nicole Kidman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it's so funny. I don't either, but it was funny to me too. (laughs) Maybe because she's tall, I don't know. Okay. So what were yours? All right. So I have my, I guess my, uh, my female Hamilton casting. Yes. Where, where race uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Or my Ben Bradley was Alfre Woodard. <gasps> well done. Yeah. I was like, oh, well I like done. that. Yeah. My Carl Bernstein is Regina King. Cause that's just perfect. Right. And my Woodward was Regina Hall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I saw Support the Girls, and I was like, and in Girls Trip, I'm like, Regina Hall needs to get more work. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Yeah, because she, she would be like, I could just see, like, just very competent, and then let Regina King, mm-hmm. you know, be the bulldog and stuff. Exactly. All right. So I didn't do it. I just did the, the three. I didn't do any other. Oh, OK. Casting. OK. So my. Um, and then like for my my kind of Hamilton-esque, I guess, male thing I had for Woodward, just based on looks alone, because I looked at his old pictures. I thought he reminded me of Hill Harper. So I, was like, I don't oh, know who that is. Hill, Hill Harper. You, you, when you see him, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen him before. He's, he's a black actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. You'll be like, oh. I don't know. He just, like, reminded me of him. Okay. I didn't have, a, like, a Bernstein for, uh, I guess, like, maybe you could do, like, Kevin Hart if you really wanted to, like, go dramatic. But then I don't know how that would go. I say we stick with Regina King. Yeah, I mean Regina King is like my favorite. And yeah. then for my my uh, Hamilton Ben Bradley, I was like, Ma, come on, it's right there. It's right there for you, Idris Elba. No. <gasps> there you go. Oh my God. Yeah. All right, so then my straight-up recasting, Wow. I put for Woodward, Edgar Ramirez. Okay. For Bernstein, of course, Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> I mean... Yes! Yeah. Yeah. And then for my Ben Bradley, I was just like, hmm. Because I listened to Tony Kornheiser's show... And he worked at the Washington Post, and he had a relationship with Ben Bradley. So I've heard all these stories about the real man and just how cool he was. Yeah. And I was like, 
George Clooney. I thought of George, yeah. Just, because he can do it. Yeah, just George Clooney. Because he's just got that kind of thing, that, that just a cool guy vibe. And, yeah. the, and the yeah. girls all like him. The guys and men all, all like, like him. him. Yeah. yeah, and he's just cool. Yeah. Yep. So that, that was that. I love that we both had Regina King. I know. Well, Re- Regina King is a national treasure. She the, is. The nation it's just, just the doesn't nation, realize the, nas- it. the nation doesn't know it yet. Yeah. All right. What about nuggets? Tasty nuggets. Um, we've gone over all of them except, you know, Frank Wills was the guy who actually first discovered the tape on the door. Mm-hmm. And so he was in the movie, but he didn't realize that how much time it was going to take. He was out of work for three years after this movie was made because he was fired from his job because he was off so much. Oh, that's sad. That's very sad. Um, and uh, when when they call the White House switchboard, the phone number is the real phone number of the White House switchboard. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, those are my tasty nuggets. The overhead shot of the car leaving the Washington Post, it was used twice and supposed to be uh, weeks apart, but it's the same shot because I remember it because they almost hit a guy coming out of the... Oh. And I remember the first time, I'm like, man, they almost hit a guy. And then it went back to the same shot. I'm like, is this the same shot? And then I come down, I'm like, yeah, because they almost hit that guy. So, yeah, they used it twice. And then here's a little nugget that we might have to investigate more. Remember when he was talking to Dalberg on that long call? And Dalberg said his neighbor, Virginia Piper, yes, she was kidnapped. That really happened. It really happened. She was held for ransom and released by kidnappers after her husband paid a $1 million ransom. And it happened July 27, 1972. And two men were arrested five days before the statute of limitations ran out in 1977. But they were acquitted on appeal and only $4,000 of the ransom money was ever recovered. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, there is more. That is seems interesting. Yeah. Dateline Keith Morrison. Keith Morrison. Where are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think everybody should watch it. It's a great movie. It's a great movie for people who just love movies. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie for our times to say, really, we're doing this again. We're letting we're letting the wool be pulled over our eyes again. The rat fucking continues. Yes, 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 yes. It was. I watched this movie and then I watched the Clinton Affair on A and E, and I was like, oh man, there's a lot of parallels here. Yeah, because it's not just, but but unfortunately, (laughs) if there's rat fucking to be done, come on, Democrats, let's do it well. Well, you know, hopefully, like, we we have some people now who, they don't care. Motherfuckers, motherfuckers. (laughs) Yes, son, we're going to impeach that motherfucker. Yeah. Look what you did. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. (laughs) 
Ooh, look what you made me do. <sighs> yep. So we will see. But it's an excellent movie. It stands up. It does. It does. Oh, I, I couldn't believe how well those guys ran in those shoes. Yeah. I was like, man, that it just seemed like that would hurt your heels. It would just kill from the, the rubbing on your tendon there. Yeah, and your arch hard... and your toes and... Because there was, yeah, they had loafers on. Yeah, there was no just support like, no running. No cushioning. Yeah. So, great. Corduroy suit. The corduroy suit. I forget, when I was watching it, I was like, he's wearing a full corduroy suit. You just full don't see on that. corduroy. You just and don't it looked see damn that. good on him, too. It did. But, I mean, this is the summer in D.C. And he's rocking. A full corduroy. corduroy suit. <laughs> That's true. Uh, oh, he was swamp ass. He was swamp ass. <laughs> oh. now, now, Bernstein would wear his sneakers. Oh, yeah, because Bernstein, he was, he's a sensible fellow. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have the crayons or the fucks to explain it to you. Also... I found myself being enthralled by Robert Redford's hair. Yeah. Of just like, this is how we're going to wear it. And I'm like, is this, this, I guess that's the 70s. Yeah. He had wave action going on, just, didn't he? Just, and feathered. Yeah. I'm like, feathered. did he, like, if, if we're playing the, like, okay, you're going in and you're like, yeah, he's a reporter and stuff. Did he spend the time? feathering it and you're just like no that's movie convention you know when you look like robert redford and yes he was playing someone else but i i, 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 I think the styling of his hair is gonna happen yeah just like and actually i'll bet bob woodward he might not have had the money before this all happened mm-hmm. but i'm pretty sure he styles his hair now Oh, he does. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But mm-hmm. we'll have to see, because I think he got more hair later. Oh, did he? I don't know. I just remember being, and maybe I'm wrong. I just remember in looking at the old photos of him of being kind of surprised by the lack of it. And then... I re- I have a picture of him with a receding hairline. Uh, you know, the receding hairline and, and the hair being swept straight back. Mm. Okay. I guess I'm now looking I don't, him up right now. I don't know because he's old, so I don't think. Like, I'm not like, oh. I, I remember. I don't know. No, he's he's got a pretty good head of gray hair right now. Oh. Does it seem like he has more than he no, has? No, it, it doesn't look like it, it was. No. I guess he just grew into his hairline. I mean, it's it's receded some, so it's not like it... Um, Where it should be. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like looking at people and you're like, I know that you're 60 years of age. How come your hairline starts at your eyebrow? Right. Yes. No, no, he he's good. And we have the, we have his new book, Fear. That mm. Poppy has read some of. I want to read it. Sounds About our present good. day. 
Ongoings. Ongoings with the president resident present resident of the White House. The current occupier. The current occupier. In assholeness. Okay, Erin, next week. All right. Well, next week, I think we are going to stick to the newsroom, albeit a completely fictional newsroom. And we're going to do 1940s His Girl Friday. Oh, good. Have we done that before? <laughs> it just occurred to me. I'm like, wait, have we done this one before? No. Okay. This has uh, Catherine Hepburn. No. No. It does not. It has Rosalind okay. Russell. <gasps> ruh, ruh, ruh. Mm-hmm. Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant. I thought it was Cary Grant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. It's kind of a comedy, yes? It is. It's Although, a full-blown comedy? Well, Google has it as a drama romance, but I okay. I thought that it was a comedy, and I know that it is known for its very fast dialogue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So it'll be fun to recast that. I just thought that it'd be good to go back in time a little bit. We've been yeah. kinda in the more in the current, even though I know that like the seventies was forty years ago. To me it feels like it it's more of a current movie. <laughs> well, definitely for me. <laughs> it's in my lifetime. Yeah. So I'm like, let's go back in time. Let's get yeah, a little I agree. uncomfortable. Well done. Okay, next week, His Girl Friday. Um, We have heard some positive comments about our new format, so we hope you are enjoying it. Let us know how you feel, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.